You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing how to spot potentially malignant disorders and how to manage them. The goal is to remove them to prevent transformation into oral squamous cell carcinoma. Our guest today is Dr. Ashley Clark, a board-certified oral pathologist currently serving as the vice president of CAMP Laboratory after a nearly decade-long career in academia. Dr. Clark has won several teaching awards, has provided over 100 continuing education courses, and has authored more than 40 publications and book chapters. So before we get started talking with Dr. Clark, and we're excited to do so, I would like to mention that Dr. Clark's webinar titled Potential Malignancies in the Oral Cavity, What You Need to Know, that webinar is now available as an on-demand webinar on VivaLearning.com. To find that, just go to VivaLearning.com, simply type in the search field Clark, C-L-A-R-K, one of the easier names to spell that I mentioned over the years. If you are interested in learning more about how to lower the rate of oral cancer in your practice, I highly recommend this webinar. And it was very well attended. We had over 1,600 people on that webinar from start to finish, over th- almost 3,000 people signed up for it. So it was very successful. Dr. Clark, it's great to see you again. Hi, yeah. Thank you for having me again. It's been about a year since I've seen you, so. Yes, we did this podcast uh, or similar one to this uh, almost a year ago to the days, which I find very interesting. So what are the most common ways in which potentially malignant disorders present? So that's a great question. The um, most common ways in which potentially malignant disorders present are as flat white patches. So I'm saying potentially, or we're saying potentially malignant disorders instead of precancer. So that's sort of the new term. Uh, But really, we think of these as precancers. And in the case of HPV negative squamous cell carcinoma, in theory, 100% of those will have a potentially malignant disorder like leukoplakia present before they turn into cancer. So that's why it's really important to know how these potentially malignant disorders look. And they look like flat white patches. And typically, how can the dental team best recognize them? And we're talking mostly about GPs now, right? Yeah. So GPs um, and hygienists do this a lot too, do an oral cancer screening. Um, so what a lot of offices do is they do their visual examination. So you should always look first with the overhead light. Um, if you want a little bit of extra help on a screening exam, um, you can use autofluorescent technology, something like Gockle. Um, and what that will do is it has a really high sensitivity. Um, so if you are seeing something that's dysplastic, it will lose fluorescence. Seeing something that's cancerous, it will lose fluorescence. So if you're seeing something that loses fluorescence on your exam, um, go back and look with your eyes and make a determination about uh, what you want to do. So if it's a red patch, absolutely, it gets sent for biopsy. But if it's geographic tongue, let's say, then that's okay because um, things with inflammation will lose fluorescence too. So that's what we want to do. We want to make sure we look at the lateral borders, ventral borders of the tongue, and floor mouth especially because that's where cancer most often occurs. And don't overlook gingival lesions that aren't responding appropriately to therapy because gingival carcinomas can masquerade as benign lesions, as reactive lesions, as periodontal disease. So treat it how you've clinically diagnosed it, but if it doesn't respond appropriately to therapy, 
I would recommend a second glance at your diagnosis. So when a patient bites the side of their cheek or there's some trauma that's typical just from chewing, we all do it. Sure. Um, what does that look like compared to something that could be more dangerous? Are, are they very similar, the actual visual representation of a cheek bites, for example? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So in cheek biting, it could clinically appear as what might be called erythroleukoplakia, so red and white. Um, but what you won't see in cheek chewing is sharply defined borders with a homogenous lesion. So with leukoplakia, it should be fairly homogenous, uh, maybe wrinkled a little bit, um, maybe some spots of red in there, but you should be able to tell exactly where the white ends and the normal begins. And then there's like a solid lesion. With cheek chewing, it's kind of shredded red and white appearance. And you know, other things can, can do that too, to your point. Uh, for example, lichen planus can look you know, red and white and even ulcerated, but lichen planus will not be sharply demarcated. And also with trauma or lichen planus, those lesions will come and go. With true leukoplakia, it will um, not do that. It'll be set. So just curious. It will come and go. Yeah, just out of curiosity, how is the GP doing um, compared to even five to 10 years ago? Because uh, as far as recognizing early signs of dysplasia or, or what we're calling in this podcast, potentially malignant disorders? Yeah, it's hard for me to tell. Um, so I only have my own personal information as far as like an opinion based. Um, but I would say the closest thing to a study that we have about this, it will say that we have not improved. Um, because they went back and looked at thousands of patients in California over an eight-year span of people who had squamous cell carcinoma, and fewer than 5% had a documented precancer or dysplasia or potentially malignant disorder, when in theory, all of them did. So either we're not screening properly, or I think this is probably more likely patients aren't getting in to be screened as frequently as they should be. So that's what you think is the main reason is that they're just not showing up to the dentist for us. Yeah, to take I a think look only what 42% of Americans see a dentist every year. So um, we're going to miss a lot if we if they don't show up. Or they do show up but in later stages. Or they do show up when it's painful, right? So they'll have an ulcer on their tongue and they don't really worry about it because it doesn't hurt. And a lot of people associate pain with malignancy. Um, but as we all know, as dental professionals, the early stages of squamous cell carcinoma are not painful. So by the time that ulcer becomes painful, it's invaded the nerve. So, um, that's, that's a big misconception too. Of course, we all know catching this stuff in the early stages, the prognosis improves tr dramatically. Exactly. Right. What are the numbers yeah. on that? What are the stats on early detection? So if we catch it in its dysplastic phase, um, like let's say we catch a moderate dysplasia and we completely destroy the tissue either by laser or scalpel, uh, we will reduce that person's risk of getting a cancer by 50%. So we don't eliminate it, but it, we greatly reduce it. And the reason we don't eliminate it is because these things have a tendency to recur and maybe even get a second area of leukoplakia in a different spot. 
so you have to uh, follow these patients long term. So this is something that wasn't, I shouldn't say it wasn't taught to me. I'm sure it was taught to me. This is something I don't remember being taught um, is how long for a, a follow-up we're supposed to do. And really we're supposed to reevaluate these patients every six months for 20 years if they have leukoplakia or erythroplakia. So that's quite an intense rigorous follow-up regimen. Yeah, it's one way to keep patients coming to your practice, right? I mean... And it's one way to keep patients coming to your practice. Exactly yeah, right. Sure. But it's also literature evidence-based. Right. No, interesting. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, GPs, when they talk to patients, when they first see them, you don't want to scare them or, you know, frighten them in any way, but maybe it should be discussed how prevalent oral cancer is. It's something that we, you know, we don't like talking about and it's unlikely that you'll have it, but it's good for you to come in, not only for your teeth and your gums and the health of the rest of your mouth, but also to screen. And I don't, I don't think that's really brought up too much at these visits. You know what? That's a great point. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I, my wheels were turning. Like, that's really a good point. Like, hey, we need to see you in six months for your prophy and cancer screening. So we could just add that in there. Um, you know, it's sort of like women get mammograms every year or, you know, what have you. Like this is just normal part of daily conversations whenever you go to the doctor. Have you had this screening test? You know, have you had your colonoscopy once you reach a certain age? So that could definitely become part of our routine visits. Like, okay, when's the last time you had your oral cancer screening? If you're a new patient and they'll say, I don't know, because most of them don't know that you're doing it really. Um, and I would tell them like, hey, I'm going to do an oral cancer screening for you now. So that way they know like, they're being checked. There is a component to this um, that the GP doesn't feel completely competent in this area. So by having a patient come back every six months, and this is the flip side of this, you know, we're talking about one way to get the patient come in every twice a year. But the other side of the coin is that, you know, then that patient is relying on this GP to recognize and identify potentially malignant disorders. And if they don't, right. then they're, they're, there's a liability issue saying, hey, I came in every six months. You said this, is, this was the purpose of this was partly for my cancer screening, and now I have cancer. That might play a role in not having the GP stress that. Yeah. And I would argue that it's our responsibility. I mean, it's our responsibility as dentists. I mean, I, a lot of hygienists catch it, but we're the doctors. Um, and it's our responsibility, this is part of being a doctor, is that you have to know how to spot potentially malignant disorders and malignancy in the oral cavity or else, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. So what should the oral health care provider do when a potentially malignant disorder is discovered? So now I'm going to say this is um, based on what I'm about to say, everything that what I said, except for, you know, if I disclaim it as opinion, uh, is based on literature. And what I'm about to say, what sh they should do, that comes from uh, Mark Lingen and his colleagues in 2017 put out, um, I say his colleagues, they're my colleagues too. <laughs> um, just I hold Mark in, or Dr. Lingen in such high esteem. But um, they put out uh, via the Center for Evidence-Based Dentistry, these clinical practice guidelines. And if you see something that you think could be dysplastic or malignant, you should biopsy it yourself that day or refer for biopsy that day. So I think a lot of us have in our heads that we should wait two weeks to do anything. And that's not accurate. So if we see an ulcer 
and it's indurated, so it means it feels hard, and the patient said it's been there for a while, do not recall that patient in two or three weeks to see if it's still there. Immediately refer that patient for biopsy if you don't do your own. And I know you have a free biopsy kit. Our company provides free biopsy kits, and we are based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, but we distribute these free kits throughout the country, and we are in network with almost every single medical insurance except for in-state Medicaid. I don't, like if you're in a different state, I don't think we can take that specific Medicaid. I've had some things to do this morning. There's a pile of like 70 cases sitting for me to sign out, and I'm going to do that this evening. So I have a very quick turnaround rate as well. In order to get that kit, talking to our audience now, just email Dr. Clark's uh, laboratory, aclark, A-C-L-A-R-K, at camplaboratory.com. Very simple, camplaboratory.com. It's a friendly name or a laboratory that's doing some serious stuff over there. Yeah, I partner with two dermatopathologists. So it's cutaneous and maxillofacial pathology laboratory is what CAMP stands for. Um, and it's really nice having a dermatopathologist in-house as well, because I do sign out skin lesions. So um, if I ever want a second opinion, or if any doctor ever wants one, I have one sitting to my right that I can have them take a look as well. So what is the appropriate follow-up care for our patients who have a potentially malignant disorder, which was biopsied by someone else? Great question. So if you are the person who does the biopsy, you are responsible for the definitive treatment, um, if it's dysplasia, or for telling the patient at least. Um, if it is mild dysplasia, and you, if you're the referring doctor, you're their main dentist or hygienist or whatever, you need to make sure this is happening as well. If it's mild dysplasia, it's okay to watch that. I do not recommend it um, because like I said, we can decrease their risk of getting a cancer by 50% if we remove it. So why wouldn't we remove it? Also, if you know something in your mouth is dysplastic, I'd want it gone. So I wouldn't want it to just sit there and you know roll the dice. If it's mild dysplasia, we can laser it off. If it's moderate dysplasia, or severe dysplasia, or I mean, carcinoma in situ, I'd probably kick to uh, someone who does these sort of surgeries. But moderate and severe dysplasias, I would take a scalpel and get margins. So put a suture in it and send me the tissue to make sure there wasn't a squamous cell carcinoma in there that we missed. Um, and then the follow-up for the general dentist, even if it's a cancer and they've had their cancer surgery, all of these patients require or should have six month follow-ups every for 20 years, every six months for 20 years to make sure they don't get a recurrence. And um, anytime they do get a recurrence, it requires a new incisional biopsy because that means the lesion has a new diagnosis. Um, one example there is hyperkeratosis. So if I call something hyperkeratosis in the setting of true leukoplakia, that tissue doesn't need to come out. You can watch it but you have to watch it closely. And if it changes in any way, becomes, uh, you know, expands, gets surface irregularity, something, then the diagnosis has changed and it needs another biopsy. So these patients all require long-term follow-up, regardless if you're the one welding the scalpel. So in your biopsy kit, is it something that's pretty simple to use? Because I, I would hope that most GPs can do these biopsies, but some may feel uncomfortable doing so. Yeah. And then 
they would probably refer to an oral surgeon who would do this in their sleep, right? Because they do this, that's all they do is oral surgery. But what does your kit actually have in it? Um, Oh, that's also a good question. Um, So I refer, yeah, oral surgery, uh, periodontists, those people do, those specialties do the bulk of the, the surgeries. Um, I would do my own biopsies, but I was lucky enough to have oral surgery in the next suite over. It gave me, you know, the confidence to do that. If you want to learn how to do your own biopsies, I think, I think the best way is to go shadow an oral surgeon, um, because they're fairly simple if you're selective about which ones you do. So we will, uh, send you kits and then we will pay for free. Well, free to you. We pay for it. Expedited shipping back to our lab. And you just stick the thing in the formalin, you fill out all the paperwork, you send their medical insurance because we'll bill medical and that's how it works. Now, if you needed a biopsy like to make your own, someone asked me on Facebook the other day, but I want a kit in my office, what do I need? It's hard to tell because different people have different preferences. I loved using a punch. Um, I rarely used a scalpel to biopsy, so I had a four millimeter punch. I always had silver nitrate available in case I needed to stop bleeding. Um, I always had hemostatic dressing and gauze, uh, sutures available. So there's a a lot of different variables that go into what you need to do a biopsy. But I am a firm believer that if I can do it, you can do it (laughs) because uh, you all are artists and I am not. Hmm. So I think that would be a great skill to teach yourself if you aren't doing your own biopsies because it not only is profitable for you, but it saves your patients money because they don't have to take another half day off work and go to the surgeon or periodontist. And it saves their lives in some cases, right? Exactly right. Because sometimes they're comfortable with you and no one else. Yeah. Uh, No, that's been very helpful. So you did mention Gockel. So if anybody's interested in that product, that's from Perel, Perel Pharma. Um, Gockel's is G-O-C-C-L-E-S, I believe. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Gockel's. You You can Google it. And you'll find more information about it. Apparently, that's a great device that you really don't need more than, I think, a curing light. Is that that's, right? That's right. Yep. It's, it's portable like that. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Clark. I think you covered everything really, really well. Again, congratulations on an amazing webinar that you did that's now on demand on vivalearning.com. Again, just type in Clark, C-L-A-R-K. There may be a couple of Dr. Clarks on our system, but you'll you'll see the one where it talks about potential malignancies in the oral cavity, what you need to know. Great webinar, and we look forward to having you on future webinars going forward. Thank you so much for your insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. 